This week, we're touching on one of the hottest topics in fitness, intermittent fasting. What have you heard on the street? We pulled in Harriet Walker, sports dietitian, discussed some of the reported benefits. We've heard weight loss. We discussed longevity, clarity, blood sugar. What is the mechanism? Big one. What do you need to take into account? What does the research say? And is it good for you? Welcome to the Body Science Podcast, bringing you everything you need, want, and should know about health, fitness, nutrition, and training. As always, the information contained in this podcast is for the information purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or be prescriptive to treat, prevent, or manage any injury, disease, or other health-related condition. All information provided in the podcast is the opinion of the individual and other contributors and does not represent the policy, procedure, or opinion of any other corporate entity or third party. Warning, this Body Science Podcast occasionally contains strong language, which may be unsuitable for children unusual humor which may be unsuitable for some adults and advanced science which may be unsuitable for bro science majors stay tuned the body science podcast is about to start this podcast is brought to you by hydroxy burn shred increase your energy and ramp up your metabolism before training hydroxy burn shred combines several carefully selected stimulant agents that have been proven to support fat loss these key ingredients with an industry-leading four gram serve of acetol l-carnitine support the mobilization and utilization of stored fats to be used for energy stick to your nutritional plan by incorporating ingredients that may help to contribute to an improved sense of well-being and enhance mood by supporting healthy brain function. Take control of your weight your way with therapeutic ingredients proven to support weight management, fitness goals, along with appetite balancing. Is that time of the day and we podcast? This week, I've got the legend Harriet Walker, sports dietitian with me. Dr. Mack is overseas playing with some of his uh, athletes. And we're going to talk about something really interesting today, something that's very close to every third Instagram post I'm looking at at the moment. <laughs> in a minute, fasting. I've got the guru in. We're going to ask you a few questions. Yep. Fasting, what's the benefits? Types of fasting. Who's it good for? Who's it not good for? And how do I get started? Fantastic. Let's rip in. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. So we're going to talk about intermittent fasting. And I always like to start with the the background of all these diets because it's good to know where it's come from and know where it's going. I wanted to run over backgrounds. Actually, fasting has got a very long history. It started like a lot of religions have some element of fasting in it. But the, the difference is between, I suppose, modern day, you know, weight loss is the, the big thing that we're looking yep. at. Whereas a lot of the religions use it as like a way of, you know, self-restriction and empathising with people who have less. It's a really interesting contrast between... So you're saying that the art of dieting goes back to early religion? Pythagoras. Yep. You know Pythagoras' theorem? He was an intermittent faster. Did Stop you know it. that? No, I, I didn't know. know that. Madness. Smart guy. And one of the world's first doctors was actually also an, an intermittent faster and he called it something around, you know, one of the um, earliest sort of forms of medicine was faster. And he, you know, this was a long time ago. So it's got some very long background. So we've got things like Roman Catholics, some of the more orthodox religions have got an, an amount of fasting. So we've got things like Lent. We've got the 40-day fast there. 40-day. Yep, 40-day fasting. So they give up something. Generally speaking, when they're giving up something, there's an intention behind it. They're giving up something to make themselves a better person, whatnot. You know, the Mormon religion, there's an element of fasting in there as well. Fasting is one of the pillars of Islam. We've got Ramadan where they're fasting for a very long period of time between sun up 
up and sundown. Okay. People are looking at, okay, did they would they have known that this had some health benefits to it? Or are we actually looking at it as a way of, you know, that sort of appreciating what you have by going without? And I think that's a really interesting way to kind of look at it. And there's a lot of other religions that have that sort of aspect, uh, a fasting aspect to it. But it, it really is very, very different to how we see fasting today, which is what's in it for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. What is in it for me? Well, as I mean, fasting is definitely becoming quite topical these days. And there's a, there's a few different reasons to it. And evidence is patchy in some areas and it's, you know, quite strong in others. So basically we're looking at intermittent fasting as a way of reducing calorie intake. So there's a few different formats for intermittent fasting. We've got the 5-2, which was made quite prominent by Michael Mosley. So basically you eat regularly for five days of the week and then two days of the week you reduce your calorie intake to somewhere in the vicinity of 800 calories per day. That's one of the more popular ones. So he's got the 5-2 diet book. I actually went to go see him speak probably this time last year and it was really interesting okay. just to sort of hear his take on it. And then we've got some sort of time-restricted feeding. So we're looking at so 16-8, yep. fasting for 16 hours, feeding in an eight-hour <coughs> window. And there's lots of different variations between those ones as well. And then there'll be people who do full-day fasts or full-week fasts. So Full-week fasts. Wouldn't want to be around me in those times. But it's definitely, it's got a lot of different ways it can take shape. And if you look at sleeping, basically that's like a little fast. You know, you can't eat while you're sleeping. And, and it's interesting to look at people who don't have regular sleeping patterns and the impact that that has on their metabolism. So I think there's definitely some science there to say that this is probably something that may be beneficial for people. But what we'll do today is walk over, you know, the ins and outs of it, why it might be beneficial. And you know what, it's not always going to be for everybody. So we'll, we'll have a little look at that one there. So basically, I think we're looking at there's two different arms to fasting that we should probably have a look at. Initially, we're looking at calorie restriction, and we're looking at it for weight loss yep. by not eating your regular amounts of calories in a day, we're automatically ticking ourselves along for weight loss. And that's probably being a diet driven society that we are in any way that I can make weight loss easier, not having to miss out on all the good stuff. Most people are pretty open to that. But then the other arm um, intermittent fasting really comes down to longevity. And this is a uh, probably a lot more sciencey arm of it. And we're looking at the way in which we can prolong life. So we know that there is oxidative stress associated with eating, the mm -hmm. same with, you know, exercising or walking outside into the traffic and inhaling, you know, some of the, the pollution with yep. the traffic. There is a oxidative cost to uh, eating. And what we're sort of looking at there is, is reducing the number of eating occasions actually going to increase our lifespan. And it's a really interesting one. Why did you sort of bring up the topic of intermittent fasting? Well, obviously it's a diet driven side for me. I mean, longevity is what I'm about. Like I'm trying anything, I'm grasping anything for a bit of longevity. Yeah. And fasting definitely came across, like keto came first and, and I thought I'd try some fasting. And I was really interested to talking about myself was the, the reduced calorie side of that fasting you talked about in the first arm. Mm. I thought, okay, is short eating period, but I found that in the couple of weeks that I have been trying intermittent fasting, mm. I've had no problem keeping my calories up because yep. I tend to use it as an excuse to have fun versus a, an eight hour <laughs> period where I can party like a rock star. Yep, yep. I've had really good results. Like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a massive fan of standing on scales, but when you're trying something out, you definitely stand on scales. And yep. so far they're giving me a better number than what they are when I started, yep. which is a great thing. But the big thing that I get asked by a lot of people when, when people say, oh, what are you doing? And, mm. I, and I try to explain what I'm doing is, oh, wouldn't that destroy your metabolism? And yeah. you get that time and you get these people say, oh, you, you know, we've always preached to have six meals a day, make them high protein, make yep. them low carb, mm -hmm. keep the metabolism going, eat foods that are going to raise your metabolism, 
like your protein, your diet. Like, yeah. Where are we with the, the big metabolism word when you talk about oh, the I love first the big arm. metabolism word. Uh, it's interesting because like. I obviously can... in rat studies, we know. <laughs> <laughs> no, gosh. How closely related yeah. are we to yeah. rats? No, it's really interesting to, when we start looking at the metabolism word, because everyone seems to be really freaked out that the metabolism is going to drop magically. And look, I mean, the term that we're really looking at is adaptive thermogenesis. So okay. we know when people go and lose weight, they're reducing the physical size of their body. As a result of that, they actually require less energy. We do see a slight decline in their metabolic rate, but it's proportional to their body being smaller and requiring less energy. People, when we look at metabolic damage, what we're really talking about is that adaptive thermogenesis. You know, it's quite interesting to look at how long do you need to be dieting for before you actually start experiencing adaptive thermogenesis and that step down in metabolism. I think it gets sort of thrown out there by people almost too early when yep. <laughs> they might not be doing so well on the diet or they might have, you know, dieted down for a comp, ate a lot <laughs> in the subsequent weeks and months afterwards and they're kind of looking to anything external to themselves as for the reason as to why it's happening. And that's cool, man. Like I've been there too. I've always looked for excuses. But when we're looking at intermittent fasting, generally speaking, they, they see a little bit of a drop in metabolic rate from a diet after maybe three or four weeks. Okay. But we also need to look at is the intermittent fasting actually completely reducing the number of calories, which is another interesting one. Do we need to actually create a calorie deficit using intermittent fasting in order to get the weight loss? Or is it the fact that we're giving our body and our digestive system a little bit of a break, even if we ate the same amount of calories? And what we're seeing is, you know, like we, we are seeing some cardiometabolic benefits of fasting. So that's basically looking at blood lipids, glucose sensitivity. So that those factors that are associated with heart disease are actually being improved by reducing total calories. If we do that using intermittent fasting, great. But we can also do that and get the same sort of similar benefits doing, you know, calorie restriction. Yep. So what we're looking at is with intermittent fasting, does it, you know, reduce your metabolic rate? If you're reducing your calories to an extreme point, it probably would cause some sort of... And what's an extreme point? 50% of calories completely <coughs> gone. You yep. know, okay. I, I think we know that, you know, that sort of 30% decrease in calories to get weight loss, you know, may eventually, you know, cause that little bit of step down because you're losing weight. It's the extreme sort of 50%, 75% in a chronic deficit that we will see a little bit of that metabolic step down. We also have a really great study, the Matador study, which we referred to last time we were talking. We touched on um, intermittent fasting and it showed that diet breaks are actually a really effective way of allaying some of those side effects that we see with dieting. Do you want to explain what a diet break is? I think I could be good at it. Yeah, I think everyone could be good at it. <laughs> a little, little diet break. So basically, you know, what we see, you know, there is a hormonal changes associated with calorie restriction. We see a little bit of thyroid function go down. So thyroid is like our thermostat for energy in the body. So our body becomes more efficient at using the little energy that we do have. We also see changes in leptin and ghrelin, which are our, you know, leptin is our I'm satisfied hormone. Yep. Ghrelin is our hungry hippo, as I like to say, our hungry hippo hormone. We see that. <laughs> I just think of that, that old game in the yeah. 1990s. But anyway, yep. we do see some changes with dieting to those hormones along with 
the other ones. So they're the ones that we know have researched quite well. They sort of tend to step down a little bit. So we get a little bit more hungry and we get a little bit more efficient at using what we do have when we're dieting. So a diet break would entail taking, you know, a two week on, two week off kind of approach where we're in a calorie deficit for say two weeks and then we take a small amount of time to come back up to a normal calorie diet and then start again. Basically, it's a little bit of a reprieve. It, it may on... Zigzag. And you know what? Success is never a linear pattern and we yep. know that with dieting as well. So people will go really well for the first little bit. Generally speaking, the more weight you have to lose, the better it is initially. It's when we come to those diminishing returns that we do see that gets a little bit harder. So we might be throwing in some of that diet break in there. A diet break might be something that if somebody's undertaking some intermittent fasting, might be one of the things if they see a little bit of a plateau in weight loss that they might throw in. But first I would be looking at have they made too far of an extreme calorie deficit because it's very easy to do and this is probably one of the reasons why I'm not necessarily advocating intermittent fasting. There's some really great research on the topic but this would sort of bring us sort of full, well not full circle just yet, but it would pose the question, is intermittent fasting for everyone? Because right mm. now I'm making it sound pretty good. I've enjoyed it actually. It's we like need to look at eight who's Eight hours it? of no rules. Eight hours of no rules and 16 hours. I mean, I can yeah. hang on for a 16 yeah, exactly. hours. So that, I mean, the people who this might be really effective for, it might be just another really effective tool for reducing calorie intake. Yep. Is it more effective than just your traditional calorie restricted diet? And research is showing us that, look, potentially they're about the same. Okay. It's just a tool in the toolbox, you know? It's a way that mentally people might find a little bit easier. We do see some really good benefits in terms of glucose sensitivity. That's one of the, the big things for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, so if you, you know, a little bit resistant. an older guy. Yep, you've got that. Mm. Not that you do. Yeah, but you can tell the truth. The hypothetical person <laughs> may or may not have that carrying a little bit of extra weight around the middle, might be looking a little bit of insulin resistance, maybe looking at sort of that pre-diabetes kind of person, sedentary, intermittent fasting may be a tool that is utilised by somebody wanting to lose weight. But, you know, they don't want to count calories. They don't want to have to think about food groups. They don't want to have to be too restrictive with their diet. It is just a way of calorie shifting in that respect. Yeah. Do you want to explain that insulin resistance you were just talking about then to people? Like, what actually is that? Because that's, to me, that was a major driver for me when I looked at this type of eating. I thought, okay, well, you're giving your body 16 hours to deal with what it needs to deal with. Yeah. Well, if you think think about, you know, your blood sugar levels, and we've talked about homeostasis before. So basically, I've said it, that uh, your body doesn't want to die. That's that's the last thing it wants to do. So we've got all these checks and balances in place to make sure that our body stays on a nice, even keel. And one of those things is blood glucose levels. There's a level in our blood that our body likes to be at. When we eat food, we're releasing extra energy into the the system, but carbohydrates, we're breaking down energy ready to be used by the body. Too much glucose in the blood is toxic. So we see with people with diabetes long-term that hasn't been well treated. We see things like, you know, they're missing limbs and whatnot. Too much of anything in our body is toxic. So with blood glucose levels, if we've got a natural rise from a normal meal, well, good. Our body is pretty good at removing that. And the thing that removes it back to normal levels is the hormone insulin. There's a nice old analogy of the bouncer sitting at the door. We've got the cell and we've got glucose knocking on the door, wanting to come into the club. Cool man. So he's going to keep on coming in just on a regular basis. He's just a regular. But when that glucose starts coming too often, the bouncer, which is insulin, starts sort of saying, not today. We've got too many people inside the club already. You can't come in. The glucose keeps turning up to the door, but isn't let in the club because the club's at capacity. So that's kind of like so our So how many cell. times will it go to the, the bouncer to come in the door before it decides to go 
to another club or go elsewhere. And where does it go? Um, well, any sort of excess energy in the body that isn't utilised will be stored. So we can store as muscle glycogen if there's a little bit of a surplus, We can, but we can also store it in liver, uh, muscles, but we can also store it as fat. So excess energy inevitably, we know we have an infinite ability to store fat, unfortunately. Because that club's a really quick developer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's really unfortunate, but basically insulin resistance is, you know, when we're eating too much food on a regular basis, our body's trying to get rid of some of that excess glucose from the blood. We're knocking on the door and eventually it's going to stop answering. So what we can do by reducing the amount of circulating energy of circulating glucose in the blood is actually resensitize the cell. So once we've given a little bit of a break and we can start coming back and 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 that's fasting. And that's, that's, and fasting may be assisting with that. That's the mechanism. Calorie restriction will do the same thing. And in a healthy person, we can probably just eat a normal diet and have sleeping as our body's reset button. So if you're sleeping for, you know, eight hours, you have your breakfast at 7.30 and you have your last meal at 7.30 p.m., that's essentially a 12-hour fast. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, for most healthy people, using intermittent fasting may or may not be relevant. But what we're looking at, a lot of the research is people who do have diabetes, people who are metabolically challenged, as we might say, who are obese. And this might be a way, this might be one of the tools in the toolkit that we use in order to assist them in making lifestyle changes. You're also a clinical dietitian. Yes. Have you introduced intermittent fasting into your clients? With some people. So the thing is... So how do you pick a person to use that with versus somebody else? There's a lot of different things I would look at before I'd even start using something like intermittent fasting. First thing is, you know, what's their nutrition knowledge like? Because if I'm, you know, introducing intermittent fasting to somebody who can't even prepare meals first, we need to get the basics right. And that's Mm -hmm. always the principle. It's who's sitting in front of me? What are they doing right now? What are their skill set? What's their knowledge base? Then I'd be looking at what's their activity levels like? Because if I'm reducing the energy intake or the opportunities to eat or say like a highly competitive athlete, you know, they might get... Yeah, let's not worry about the athlete. No, no, no. no. They might get body composition, but their performance is going to probably suffer from that. And I don't want to be the one that preaches that. Absolutely not. We're looking at is potentially the person who's not all that active, who's not doing too much work, who's not really interested in food all that much, doesn't really care, and who could probably deal with not eating until 12 p.m., you know, midday. And, you know, there's someone who's not about to... So I I see a lot of middle-aged men who are, you know, highly stressed jobs. They're sitting at their desk. They probably don't really... They're not really interested in food anyway. Forget to eat. But the first thing is... Bet they're smashing the coffee, though. They are smashing the coffee. And that's, again, that's another thing that we need to look at is stress load. I assess their stress load as well because intermittent fasting in itself is a stressor. If that's the only stressor that you have in your life, that's fine. Mm. But there's lots of different... You know, I assess people's stress loads all the time. So, you know, money, kids, training, low-carb diets, all these things are a stress. They add to the load. And if your load is already peak, then we're not going to be looking at getting the fasting into the mix because that's just going to add a whole other layer yep. to it. If we've got somebody who's, you know, relatively cruisy life, they just want to lose some kilos, they're not really all that interested in food, they've got no history of eating disorders, which is another big one we can touch on. Restrictive eating behaviours can cause people a lot of distress. But, you know, that that's the sort of profile of somebody who may or may not be using this and who I might suggest that, and also people who are just sort of interested in giving it a go, green them first, make sure that when they are eating in that eight-hour window or that 5-2 um, on the five days, we still doesn't mean we 
we're not looking at the diet quality initially anyway and we need to make sure that they are eating all the you know the foods that we know that we should be having you know whole grains or lean meats or nut seeds all those foods that we know that we should probably be eating on a regular basis in the right amounts we've got to get the diet quality as the overarching theme but then we might add this in as a tool to help progress if they're having trouble you know reducing their portion sizes this might be an easy way for them to do it without having to think too hard I mean that clinically is not something I would use every day by no means and I would be pretty selective with the people that I would use it for and I would be making sure that they've got those other basics down right first but it's I'm not completely opposed to it I think it, it can be quite a useful tool especially for the people who don't really have the capacity to track what they're eating yeah. <laughs> it's an easy rule I suppose another benefit too is you're not knocking out full food groups like you yeah. do with keto or some other type yeah, of Yeah, absolutely, so. absolutely. And I, and I think sometimes people like rules. They like to have rules and knocking out whole food groups is just another way of reducing calories, yeah. you know, and it's an easy one. I know that I can't have bread. It's an easy rule. It's black and white. And so sometimes when we approach diet with this nuanced approach, it can get really confusing because you're like, okay, you can have a little bit of bread, but you can't have the whole loaf. It's like, well, if I've got the whole loaf of bread in my house, I'm, I'm going to eat the whole loaf. <laughs> I love bread. I don't eat it much though, but I love it. Yeah, it's delicious. Sourdough. Everyone who knows me well knows that sourdough is my jam. <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, black and white rules really appeal to people because like that's all I have to do. It's simple. It's, it's two steps, which is why intermittent fasting can be quite uh, appealing to people. But then you've got the other side of the, the fence, the people who are already lean, the people who are nerding out on their nutrition science, and they are looking at the fountain of youth yep. and they are looking for what's going to keep me... Bring um, on the fountain of youth, I say. Hair yeah. What's going to keep me alive in the most positive manner for the longest? And that's the other arm of intermittent fasting. So people aren't necessarily looking at it for weight loss. They're looking at it for preserving genetic material, which is, it gets quite complicated. So basically, you know, we've got our set of genes and how frequently those specific genes, the cells that they they code for, need to be turned over will actually dictate, you know, how long we live for. We've got a finite amount of times that we can replicate our genetic material. And if we can reduce some of the damage being done to that material, we can probably potentially be elongating life. And so your the theory there is if you're eating all the time, you're damaging all the time. Well, yeah, like we we do have a certain amount of naturally occurring oxidative stress that occurs when we eat. You know, that we we get sort of a damage to our DNA. And that's essentially what aging is, is that sort of long-term, you know, cellular damage. And once we get slower and slower at repairing it, which happens with age, you know, we will be eventually just, you know, fall over and die. Unless over. something else gets us before... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty grim and a little sort of subsect into that sort of area of longevity is making us a little bit more defensive against stress people will use fasting as a way of like a little bit of fasting is stressful to the body in the same way as exercise is a little bit stressful to the body yep. so a little bit of good stress can actually ramp up our body's defense systems theory is on this aspect is a little bit of good stress from fasting may actually make our sort of body a little bit more resilient to other stresses that we might where we, we see energy restriction might actually make us a little bit better at bouncing back from that stuff as well so you know body of research there is some more rigorous evidence than others generally speaking though you know it, it on the whole it seems to be a fairly viable tool to use i suppose it would be a good question to ask is who it's not good for yeah exactly <laughs> so the question that we're really 
really looking at is who is it not good for? And I think that's just as pertinent as who might be looking at using it. Okay, so before you explain why I shouldn't use it, let's throw a few little case studies. And obviously, look, there's a lot more to seeing a dietitian than asking a single question like this, and I get it. So just yep. play with me on this one. Okay. 18-year-old female. We've had this conversation before, and last time I entered the dieting for 18-year-olds with much trepidation. I would say, look, it's not appropriate for somebody at 18 to be looking at restricting for such large periods of time. They're still growing. We're looking at potentially reducing too far and also that positive relationship with the diet that we want to be establishing for long-term healthy weight maintenance is probably going to be somewhat impaired by you know long periods of fasting so we know at 18 like we're still growing probably all the way up to 25 males and females have still got some sort of growth happening you know I'm looking at the relationship with food and I would see this as being something that would potentially turn into restrictive eating patterns as a result if they're trying to lose weight there's something to be said just for some healthy eating patterns to be established if they do want to be looking at losing weight but I would really be questioning their motives for coming to me and asking like respectfully I would be questioning their motives as to why they'd want to be undertaking in a minute fasting when at 18 or even you know early 20s because I I would sooner point them into just some sort of general healthy eating patterns and maybe some extra exercise you do see a lot of people in the fitness community who undertake intermittent fasting in the throes of you know doing crossfit or starting a new gym regime and they're throwing too many things at once and they're probably restricting too far and that's when it turns from energy restriction into potential starvation and that's definitely something that you you want to be working with a professional for because you know very few people are adept at calculating their energy requirements um we know this just day to day i see this all the time like oh i'm eating really well you're like no you're not (laughs) And there's no definition of that. And there's no definition of that. But I know just in terms, simple terms of calories in, calories out, people tend to go too far in one direction. And and if you're going to be undertaking something like this, you want to be making sure that, you know, you're being, you've got somebody to soundboard with and that person knows what they're doing. So it's not for 18 year olds. We've just worked that out. What about a 45 year old executive, male or female, fairly sedentary in their life, trained two or three times a week, you know, try and have a crack. But obviously at 45, you're you're business building or career building still. So. Yep, absolutely. So look, I have integrated this on occasion with people who are more sedentary. They're not active people. They're not all that interested in food. So this is very similar to that scenario we were discussing earlier. They've got social occasions on the regular. So they've got work dinners and whatnot. This has been something that I've used on occasion with people quite successfully because it means that they don't have to give up their socials and their potential work engagements. They can plan a little bit of, you know, they might just do a 16-8 and just plan those days for when they've got a little bit less on or they might do it on the weekend you know it's again it comes down to it being a tool when used properly it could be quite effective for somebody in that scenario so for those that don't know 16 8 adds up to 24 which is hours in the day 16 hours versus eight hours yes yeah. so for an executive that probably works you know get up in the morning maybe yep. have a train if they can if they can yep. definitely yep. they'll find the coffee yes they'll get super busy <laughs> charging out all day long yep so they're really only going to wait until dinner yeah absolutely so look it's and then I 
again, we're looking at the different templates for intermittent fasting. It might be a 5-2, it might be a 16-8, might be a full day fast. Full day fasts are very, what's the word? How would a full day fast work in a seven day period? How would I do, how, how does that work? You'd have your last meal at 7 p.m. and you wouldn't eat again until 7 p.m. the next day. Yeah. They're very challenging. Some people really enjoy them. It's not something that I've really played with or would necessarily encourage people to play with. You know, again, it kind of falls into that quality of life and that restrictive eating kind of thing. I think the more mild intermittent fasting is probably more appropriate for the everyday person without getting too hardcore. And, you know, again, relationship with food is probably at the forefront of all of these when I'm thinking about who it's appropriate for. So has anyone looked at this? I mean, we're still on the 45-year-old executive, male or female. So it's three o'clock in the Arvo, time to have a little feed. Mm -hmm. Is there any rules out there in relation to do I smash the biggest meal I can at three o'clock because I've been waiting for 16 hours or should I be portion controlling over that that eight hours? Should I not be eating every second hour over that that eight hours? Well, this, this kind of comes... Is there any little rules there? Because my rules in that eight hours have been terrible. And that's a really good question. And this, <laughs> I suppose, turns the attention to why it might not work. And that's if well, you see, go... It has been working for me and I've, I've abused the eight hours just because I'm trialing. Yeah, absolutely. So again... I've actually had a lot of functions to go to, if you need to be honest with myself. Healthy that, eating principles definitely come... They don't normally pump those out at functions. No, so. no. They don't normally have a nice fresh fruit platter and some low-fat yogurt, you know. So what, what are the rules for my 45-year-old executives? Because obviously that's close to home with me. I would be monitor, monitoring behaviour as well. Yep. I'd be making sure that when they are eating in that eight-hour window that it is also, you know, making sure that their nutrient intakes are being met because... Again, Again, all of this stuff is useless if you're eating I had you know, it, KFC protein, carbs, and fat, alcohol. We had them yeah. all. Again, making sure that we're emphasising a healthy diet in those eight hours. You can probably afford because of the calorie deficit that has been created. People do enjoy having a little bit of extra of the nice things in life during the eight hours. I suppose making sure that they're keeping up their hydration levels even when they are fasting. So water is something that you can have during the fast. Teas without milk would be something you can have. So you know there's. There's a few key points that we need to make sure are covered up on before people start going into fasting. And I think starting small and then also monitoring behaviour because if you're starting it turning into a big binge fest, that's And that is, me, a, I mean, eight hours, that is the thing that can happen because you go, well, I'm here, I'm in the eight hours, let's go. Yeah, boom. So back to our bouncer yeah. scenario you talked about. Is there an issue during that eight hours eating after my 16 hours of fasting with the bouncer? There's going to be a heavy glycemic load in that first meal. But again, it comes down to, you know, your body's going to have to work pretty hard in that first meal to produce enough insulin to obviously. But the fact is because... So be smart in the first one is what you're saying? Well, look, it, look it, I'm not... Snack in. <laughs> Snack into the eight. Snack into the eight hours. Look, I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly what would be going on. Yeah. I would guess that because we've done the hard work in that 16 hours, that over the long period of time, there would be an amount of, you know, that sensitivity would already be reestablished. So that's basically why we're doing the fast is mm. to reestablish that sensitivity to glucose as it comes in. So our body, in theory, should be better equipped to take on those big amounts of food. Yep. But if we're being silly with it, if it's causing any issues with relationship with 
with food if we're not emphasizing those nutrients because we don't just eat macronutrients we eat micronutrients Absolutely. as well if we're not meeting those needs then you know the, the risks outweigh the benefits of doing anything any kind of dietary you know changes absolutely so let's just step it up another 10 years from our 45 to 55 55 probably not going to work as much as we used to yep where are we at now it's actually really interesting i think this dietary approach has been really popular with the older demographic i know my mum came to me a few weeks ago we went to go see michael mosley together my mum came and sisters said kind of quietly with some you know amount of anxiety that she wanted to try five two gorgeous woman so i wouldn't say there's anything wrong with her anyway so love your mum love mum you know she she wanted to give it a go and have an experiment and i think michael mosley has spoken to a lot of the older generation with the science that has gone behind his his approach and a lot so what's he what what buttons is he pushing on the 55 plus category i I think it's the evidence base he's very well versed he's a doctor you know he's he's worked in the industry and this has been an approach that he's found really compelling for him so much so that he's you know touring with it he's written a book he's swears by it so i think that's the reason why it's resonating with the older generation and also it means they don't they're not giving up on their lifestyle because i don't think you get to 55 and want to have to like restrict yourself i think you want to get to 55 and have a really good time and this approach tends to be able to facilitate that glass of wine and a bit of cheese on a friday night without sort of too much calorie counting going on so i think that's the appeal with that demographic and with a lot of the other demographics definitely i actually got the opportunity to ask michael mosley everyone put questions in and i got chosen to go up and ask him who it wasn't for because this is a question i was really curious about he said straight out you know it's not for everybody it is a really great tool and i sort of i was really coming from that disordered eating pattern because i do see it quite often and he said yes straight away if there's any history of disordered eating then this is just not an appropriate approach because it is just another way of masking that excessive energy restriction and that doesn't build on a positive relationship with food last category someone looking to build muscle now this is a pretty funny one any age any age it comes down to sometimes it can come down to aesthetics bro you know how functional do you want your muscles to be and if you want to show off the muscles then this is that this can be a way of you know getting rid of some of that excessive body fat because we are restricting calories in order to show off the muscles this is how we show tone you know toned muscles are really just muscles that you can see fat removed in terms of performance in order to be able to get said muscle i would say that it is highly likely that your performance is going to be impaired so you can't train with the same intensity that you need to to get that stimulus in order to build that lean muscle mass now there is like a lean gains community out there who swear by you know improved stimulation of muscle synthesis from fasting i'm not too well versed on the theories behind the lean gains community but i know it's out there and i can come back to you with some information about that if anyone wants to know we need a calorie surplus to build muscle that's basically what it comes down to if you are you know restricting your calories for weight loss we will be potentially impairing the body's ability to build lean muscle mass you've really got to potentially conflicting goals that said we do know that increasing protein intake in a calorie deficit may assist to maintain and in some cases build lean muscle mass so making sure that we're getting those essential amino acids in during a fast and during the the eight hour eating window or the days that you are eating normal calories making sure that you're prioritizing protein intake can assist with making sure that you're not losing muscle and also making sure you've got the stimulus there which is the weight 
weights training. I mean, they're the two key things when it comes to building muscle is adequate protein intake and an adequate stimulus being weights. But you'd have to be pretty diligent knowing what your protein intake was going to be, knowing what your calories were, you know, when you're training, are you fueling it properly? You'd have to be really diligent and really want to fast in order to be able to get the best of both worlds. And I don't know heaps of people who can give that much attention to their diet day to day without sort of accidentally under eating and therefore not being able to build lean muscle mass basically so that's a you know short version of the answer you know there are people who it might work for and I think it's not something that I'll throw off the table completely not something I would prescribe every day to somebody but definitely after screening and just asking a few questions about their motivations behind why they want to give it a go their history is what their medical history is you know all those questions come into play and then at the end of the day there's always that overarching banner of diet quality and then there's compliance if you can't comply with any diet it's not worth undertaking really yeah gotcha you know i mean there is some evidence to say that maybe a little bit of intermittent fasting a few times a year as per you know the um, religious reasons it actually does have some positive health benefits it can help reset the body a little bit maybe intermittent fasting might be one of those things where even if you are a little bit inconsistent with it you might be getting some health benefits at the end of the day consistency is the key when it comes to health and training and weight maintenance and weight loss and all that jazz the rounded sort of story of it is is you know it doesn't fit in with your lifestyle does it impair your relationship with food are you able to undertake you know normal social habits without you know messing up relationships with friends because you're you know those sorts so of can things. i still go for a cup of coffee when i'm intermittent fasting you can go for black coffee black coffee that's not going to kick you out of um the fasting if i put some cream in it with that no wouldn't sugar. be fasting because that's got that would could potentially be keto but it wouldn't necessarily be fasting what so. if i took a pre-workout with no sugar in it it wouldn't have a glycemic effect it, w- it wouldn't be providing your body with any calories calories and the energy is probably the key thing there you know some people do protein fasts so they'll reduce the amount of protein that they're having in their diet in order to help upregulate their cells you know ability to regenerate proteins in their body and that's the, the longevity side of it as well look it is a it's a topic that has a lot of ins and outs of it and again at the end of the day mm. i'm encouraging people to actually check in with somebody who knows what they're talking about prior to starting it because there are benefits to it as we can see through the science but there's also a lot of pitfalls that potentially you could fall into if you don't go into it being fully armed with the information that you need to know so apart from harrietwalker.com.au where do i find a dietitian so you've got the dietitians association of australia which is a they've got their website they've got all the registered dietitians on there that we can find or you can just google your local area and you'll be able to find some kind of database to be able to find a dietitian i would say that look not ever it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea and not every dietitian is going to be willing to work with somebody but i think being able to get some information off them it would be important to be able to access that information and is there any good information out there you recommend we should read suppose the michael mosley book would be the one that is worth a read he goes into a fair amount of detail into it again i'm not necessarily condoning intermittent fasting but i just think you know if you're interested in it you know any kind of dietary change tends to make people a little bit more diligent with your diet and if they're interested in changing their diet then i'm you know all for it if people are going to make positive changes in their life then yeah the michael mosley one would probably be the best one to kind of go into arm yourself with research before you go choose a select few of people to get your information from and then just see whether it's something that you might use but you know on the whole it is just another way of you know shifting around calories in order to get those health benefits that we might be after so just putting you on the spot because why not we're about 60 minutes 
Tim, we may as well. I've gone to um, harrietwalker.com.au, so you get a free plug. Fantastic. For, you know, the free advice you're about to give. Yep, fantastic. <laughs> Love it. So I've gone to you and said, look, I, I really want to get into intermittent fasting. Yep. So you're going to go, okay, how old are you? You're male, you're this, or that. How, how often do you train? Blah, blah, yep. blah. All that type of stuff. So how are you going to program for me for my eight hours? And let's just say I'm a nighttime feeder. Yep. I don't want to give up my dinner, but I'm happy to give up my breakfast in my 16 hours. So what am I making sure that you're having in those yeah, eight so hours? Let's just say three o'clock's my magic, let's start the party. Yep. So what, what are you going to say to me to do? And obviously this is not clinical environment and this is not the be all answer and I get all that. Yep. But just the basics on what so you I should do. So I suppose what we're looking at is probably two meals. Yep. Two, two meals. Okay. Big, well, that's a big one because that would be big yeah. whopping meals and maybe some snacks yeah. because I mean, I'm, I'm going to be trying to make sure that you are meeting your nutrient requirements in that eight hour block. And so I'd probably look at potentially making that first meal a little bit earlier. Like, I mean, you can do 3 p.m. Um, hopefully. Because it is all heading 12-12, isn't it? Is that the way the research is heading? 12-12, so? yeah. yeah. I mean, look, the um, the numbers are shifting. <laughs> so it depends on what suits you. But I think you can get some benefits from even a shorter fasting window. But anyway, I would just be making sure that we have figured out a way to make sure that you are getting the nutrient requ- micronutrient requirements in those two main meals and probably a couple of snacks. And that's yep. the thing. You're going to be pretty full if you're eating three and then maybe, say, you know, a snack at five and then your main meal at seven. That's a lot of eating to do. So you've got to be prepared to do it. That's why I did call it the party eight. The party eight. Yeah. Yep. We want to make sure that your, your nutrient requirements are being met in that time. So look, we would start somewhere, but you always have to start somewhere and make sure you adjust your your tact because it's no point in sticking to something hardcore if it's not working for you. So the other day when you were talking to someone, you said, have some eggs on toast, cup of coffee, whatever it was. Yep. Are you telling me to have eggs on toast at my first meal of the day? Or if what? you want to eat eggs on toast, mate. I'm just trying to get a free meal plan out of you, Harriet. Like, we what's, can talk what's after. the startup? It's interesting because a lot of people, when you talk about intermittent fasting, go, why would you starve yourself? They yeah, don't get yeah, that yeah, you yeah, actually eat your calories in eight well, hours. I mean, so. I would take the same approach as what I would with any other meal. I would start with my protein portion and I would make sure that I had a good 40 grams of protein total on my yep. plate because, again, like I said, we want to make sure that we're meeting our protein target when we're intermittent fasting, regardless, you know. And we don't need to talk about carbs. They come easily. Carbs and fat yeah, come so that's easily. The flavor. Again, I'd be using that old plate model that I was discussing last time, but we're probably making it bigger. You know, make sure that I've got a good quality source of protein on my plate. I've got lots of veggies on there, uh, lots of color, a little bit of fat, you know, some good quality carbs on there. So just going for the freebie again. Yeah. If you were doing a meal plan for me that worked on starting in the morning to whatever, the first meal might be what, three or 400 calories? Yep, potentially. I'm fasted. I'm doing the 16-8 and I've hit my let's get the eight hour party going. Yep. Are we still working on a three or 400 calorie first meal or are we talking? I suppose it would be coming down to how much food you can fit into. I don't think there's a magic I haven't eaten for 16 hours. You haven't eaten for 16 hours. I want you to move, I want to e- ease you into it so you don't go Yeah, that's that. what I'm trying to get at. Like, pe- this is the thing that I think people really do want to know about fasting. Is yeah, is how do I come off it? What, that eight hours? You're coming off and I'm going into it. Like, it's eight <laughs> hours of a bit. Let's eat for eight hours. What am I doing here? Because obviously, for me, on a busy day, you know, I can just grab some protein balls or something yeah. as yeah. my first meal and then lead into something later on. But on a weekend where I've had a surf, had a train, and I'm looking at the clock waiting for that because I'm only on, three weeks in. Like but, Donkey Kong. So it yeah. was, yeah, it's on. Like I'd probably take have something to take the edge off first so okay. you don't go silly because that's the thing. Like you can overeat calories. If at the end of the day you're not creating a calorie deficit, then you're not going to lose weight. So take the shopping approach. Eat before you go shopping. Eat before you eat go before shopping. before you start your eight hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Have, you know, good amount of protein, you know, good chunk of healthy carbs, get some veggies in there, fill yourself up a little bit. Yep. But not too much because obviously you want to make sure that we're meeting our nutrient requirements and if we can't 
fit all that food in, CFATs would be a good way because they're obviously going to be providing lots of energy. Yeah, again, that balanced plate approach would probably be a nice way to start and then take that, that ravenous edge off. If you're starting out, you probably are going to get fairly ravenous after 16 hours of fasting. So When making, you're not busy, it's difficult. When you're busy. Yeah, when you don't have time easy. to think about food. Monday to Friday? I'd, I've never understood the people who said, I forgot to eat. Like, I've just not, I'm not that person. That might be you. That's cool. But I'm never going to forget me. to eat. So yeah, have a have a small sort of well-balanced meal to start off with just to take the edge off because yeah. you don't want to be rah, jumping oh, into exactly. that first meal. Again, it just defeats the purpose because it's like, yeah, party, but we still need to be, I'm, I'm going to be boring. We still need to be a bit sensible about it. And again, the first few times you probably are going to be a bit silly. You've got to play the long game like with any dietary approach. You've got to be able to play the long game. And if you're having fruit loops as a long game you're not going to win just to finish off like that we've talked five two we've talked intermittent fasting what's it why why do some people doing these seven day fasts and these 14 day fasts what's the go like just as a closer i don't get it either i no. think they're mad for some people it's self-control it's it's that deprivation they might be doing it to be a little bit stoic you know is going it doing without. anything good for the body look potentially they are letting their body you know that we call it autophagy autophagy you know the cells are required to regenerate themselves by starving it we might be stimulating a little bit of that cellular regeneration I would be curious myself to see whether or not you couldn't do that with a shorter term fast people get that sort of feeling of clarity when they fast because you know they get that sort of heightened sense of alertness some people really quite enjoy that but I I'd be you know pushing to find a really good reason for the general population to be fasting for seven days I think you know it's going to be more stressful on the body mm. than not. In in my opinion, and probably people will argue with me on that one, and I'm sure if anyone has a really compelling reason to fast for seven days, I'm sure they'll let me know. I think on the whole, I don't see any reason. People are doing it for longevity sake and that cellular regeneration, but I think you can do that on a shorter term basis. Our body, like I've always said, is, very, is a lot smarter than we are. We have cellular mechanisms to make sure that we're clearing out any debris on a regular basis. So, you know, seven-day fast if you want to do it for personal challenge then hats off to you well game on there game on for t- uh, don't talk to me after Ooh, the first yeah. 12 hours Jeez. i'd be in the corner probably rocking rocking back and forward where's my maccas only six days to go so no more silly questions what are the key takeaways here for intermittent fasting i think the first one is that diet quality is going to overrule most still matters still matters still 100%. Matters. okay you've got to be able to comply with something like this so yep. you've got to really Really assess whether it's going to suit your lifestyle. Yep. You've got to make sure if you want to experiment with something like intermittent fasting that you go in understanding what you need to do. We're making sure that we're meeting our micronutrient needs and that we're also assessing along the way to making sure that it's still an appropriate approach for you. It's not the be on all end all. It is a tool that we might use to reduce calorie intake. You know, a traditional re- reduced caloric diet is going to be just as effective. So really it comes down to who you are and what you like doing and if it's something that works for you then there may be some health benefits but always circling back and assessing if it's still suiting you. It's when we get tied up with diet dogma and we hold on to things with two diet hands. Diet dogma, I like that. Yeah, when we hold on to things with two hands and aren't willing to let go. Account. Harriet understood <laughs> diet dogma. I 
think people just think I'm a dog trainer or something. We've got to be flexible with the approach and also how quickly we let go of an approach if it's not working. And that's the you know, principle of life, really. There's no point in calling yourself an intermittent faster and really tying yourself to the identity of it if it's not working for you. Join that tribe. Join the tribe. It's just another tribe, potentially. Yep. But if you're working with somebody and it works for you and you're, you know, you're testing and you're seeing some positive results and we're looking at fasting blood glucose levels and also blood lipids looking at those cardiovascular disease risk factors you know if they're coming down and you're working with your doctor and another sort of health professional like a dietitian then yeah it's you know it's probably going to be doing some benefits for you but again measuring is it's a it's a really big factor in that and making sure it's working for you so again not the silver bullet like with everything but it could be a useful tool for people to look into amongst the other ones that we might look to perfect well harriet thanks for joining us that's intermittent fasting 101 plus a little bit extra there rock and roll thanks for having me once again no worries enjoy catch Cheers. you soon bye Today's podcast was brought to you by our partners in Fit, Happy and Healthy, ASN, Nutrition Warehouse, DY Discount Vitamins, Fat Burners Only, Evelyn Fay, Mr. Supplement, or find a retailer online at bodyscience.com.au forward slash retailers.